I think one of the most important things about being a leader is to help people on your team feel alive. And if you don't take those moments where you're taking a risk to really invest in your employees, you're missing out on critical leadership opportunities. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this is the podcast where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. So join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. Today's conversation is with Kimberly Kane of Kane Communications Group out of Milwaukee. She is a mom, she's an entrepreneur, and she is a volunteer. She is uh, many, many things to several people within our local community. But one of the things that we focused in on for this conversation is her North Star when it comes to why she started the business, what helped form her into the person she is from a early stages within her youth. And you're going to love some of those stories about injustice, about imbalance, and about sacrifice and watching her dad um, really take a stand. On top of that, be ready for when she starts to talk about employee engagement. I love what she's doing with her folks at Kane Communications Group to increase employee engagement, employee buy-in, and really to hold people accountable on the other side of that engagement. So be ready for that. You're going to love this. Here it is, my conversation with Kimberly Kane of Kane Communications Group. Kimberly, thank you so much for um, sitting down, for making time. Sure. As we jump into this, um, it's really good to give people some background mm-hmm. on what you do professionally, and um, you can really take this you know, wherever you'd like. So Kane Communications Group is a results-driven uh, public relations and marketing firm. I actually founded Kane about five and a half years ago um, by accident. Okay. So I had left uh, corporate America, if you will, and um, I have four children. Uh, and wanted to uh, have a career where I was able to be more involved in their lives mm-hmm. uh, and also do really meaningful work. Um, so I founded Kane uh, as a way to begin doing both of those. Um, you know, my background in television news combined with the time I spent in business really came colliding together um, as I started doing some consulting work on the public relations and, and marketing side. Um, working directly with CEOs and C-suite leaders to do more than write good communications, but to actually solve business problems. Um, And as I began to take communications more deeply into organizations to identify root causes of problems and then help CEOs and C-suite leaders begin to solve those problems with really good results-driven communications, Mm -hmm. the company just took off. Yeah. Um, And within two years, um, I hired my first employee. Within four years, we had um, five employees. And today, we have nearly 20 employees. That's awesome. So there's a ton there. First of all, um, uh, four kids. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a commonality between us. That's Um, right. More than just my pattern on my shirt matching the pattern on your (laughs) shoes this morning. But um, how do you balance family life and work life. What's your take on that stuff? Yeah. Well, I've had 22 years of motherhood to okay. figure that out. And in all candor, Steve, I don't believe there is such a thing as balance. I think there's a tempo to your life. And it's sometimes you have to be much more invested in parenthood than at other times. Mm. The other thing that I've learned 
um, is that your children don't need you as much as you think or want them to need mm, you. That hurts. It's really <laughs> important to empower them to be their own little people. I love being that mom who my kids kind of joke and complain about being a micromanaging mom. Um, but I get more fulfillment about seeing them do things on their own um, than I get in being there and being at their beck and call at every moment. Mm. Um, I learned that early uh, in, in my career. I began learning that early in my career when I was juggling motherhood with being a television news reporter. And TV news doesn't have a begin to the day. It doesn't have an end to the day, just like parenthood, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have a begin or an end. And so those two worlds really came colliding together. Um, and you know, I had to, as a mom, be satisfied with not being able to be there all times mm -hmm. uh, for my kids. But the interesting thing that I gleaned from them was this sense of self-confidence that they began to gain in doing things on their own, hmm. creating their own schedules, getting their laundry done on their own by the time they were six years old. There was a great sense of accomplishment. So I realized that if I was equipping them with the right tools to do things, mm -hmm. helping them feel really confident that they were capable of doing things, they were able to take it from there. That's good. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on with parenting, as you know. I'm still early on in this thing, eight years-ish, uh, into the parenting game mm -hmm. and feel like sometimes, man, I don't know how people balance it. So you saying, I don't think there really is a balance, but more of a tempo. Mm -hmm. That's, that's helpful. Uh, that makes me think of a song versus, um, like fit it in this box and fit it in this box. So yeah. I appreciate that. So yeah. one, one, one quick okay, note yeah, though yeah. on that, I often have women say to me, gosh, Kimberly, how do you do it all? You're mm -hmm. the CEO of a multi-million dollar company. You have four children. Um, really, it seems like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. And my response to them is, I don't do it all at the same time. And I think women today feel a lot of pressure that we have got to please everyone. We have to exceed everybody's expectations at all times. And that's not true. Um, you can't do it all at the same time, and you shouldn't. You've got to set your priorities. And when your children are young, like your children are mm -hmm. young, you've got to be more invested in their lives. You've yeah. got to be there to, to contribute. As they get older, you can begin to pull back. They begin to take things on on their own, and then you can begin to invest more uh, in your career and your growth. That is encouraging. I, I'm glad that you stopped me. I learn more from failing and from other people's potential failures or missteps than maybe my own successes or other mm. people's successes, mm -hmm. because if, if I can hear where it hurts mm -hmm. and maybe avoid some of the hurt and then maybe pass on some of where I've messed up to other people, I don't know. I think there's value in that. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and talking about that. So sure. um, part of a, a leader's journey, at least to me, um, I think it begins to take shape maybe before the leader actually realizes what's going on. It's kind of one of those, um, one of those things that where you look back and it's like, oh, well that had an impact or affected me here. So talk a little bit about influences on you when you were growing up um, and how you ended up forming Kane Communications. Sure, sure. So I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have this goal of being a business owner, um, but I am driven uh, to get results. Uh, I ask a lot of questions. Um, I ask that question, why, a lot, and I'm constantly saying, how can we do things better? So, you know, growing up, I grew up in Los Angeles. I have an identical twin sister, mm. um, and our father ran a gang prevention program. So we grew up working very closely by his side, um, spending a lot of time in the housing projects of Los Angeles and in the cities across the country where he had programs. My dad started this program 
by accident as well, really, when you take a look back at, um, at how he left a career in sports marketing to start this program. He, um, uh, he was a great athlete. Um, he was very involved in the community. And um, he was running one day uh, on Venice Beach in Southern California. This was something he loved to do. He would wake up at the crack of dawn. He would go down to the beach in, in, in Southern California, and he'd go running. Um, one day, he got done with his run, came back to his car, and his car was gone. And he thought, okay, did I park it in the wrong place? Mm-hmm. What happened? It turns out the car was stolen. So he went through all the you know, t- uh, typical channels to get the car recovered, called police. They did an investigation. They found the car. Turned out his car had been stolen um, by a young man, a 16-year-old, uh, by the name of Lloyd Kamachi. I never met Lloyd. I will never forget his name. Because this experience that my dad had with Lloyd and his car being stolen changed my father's life, and it shaped my life. Uh, so what happened after uh, after uh, Lloyd was you know identified as the individual who stole the car was uh, they went to court, right? And my mom and dad were there, and you know the charges were brought up, and Lloyd was convicted of of stealing the car. Um, and during those proceedings, it came out that Lloyd was an orphan who was living on the streets of Southern California. And my dad said, whoa, 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 wait a second here. If he's an orphan, why don't you just let me adopt him? And that froze the whole court proceedings, where they said, well, wait a second here, Mr. Brown, we we can't just let you adopt him. He is a convicted criminal. He's got to go to jail. My dad said, well, why? Why, why does he have to go to jail? Why can't I just adopt him? So he and my mom were taken back you know, into the judge's chambers, and my dad was really schooled in how things really worked. Sure. And he was told, listen, Mr. Brown, if this kid had been from a middle-class background, he would have been released to his parents on probation. But he's not. You know, he's an orphan. He lives on the street. The way the system is set up is you know, our laws protect people like you. And my father was horrified at that thought. If this kid had been from a middle-class background, Mm -hmm. he would have been released to his parents on probation. But because he's a minority, because he's disadvantaged, he automatically gets a year in juvenile detention. That's wrong. Mm. And so my father did whatever he could to fight that system. Uh, Unfortunately, it was too late for Lloyd. But he left his job um, doing marketing in, in the sports world and started his own nonprofit with the goal of of preventing situations like this for kids like Lloyd. So I had the benefit of growing up, you know, in this world with my father driven to um, help kids like Lloyd who are born into disadvantaged situations um, get a great education, um, get exposed to great opportunities, leave the housing projects, leave the central cities behind so that they can actually achieve some great things. And how long... Did uh, did your dad do the uh, conduct the nonprofit work, or is it maybe it's still going on? Or um, he was passionate about this mm. all of my life. Mm. So this was really my reality. This was my whole family's reality. He would bring kids home to our house for Thanksgiving. Um, we would have families come visit with us. I spent time growing up um, in the basements of churches across the country, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the recreation centers, in the tenements, in the small, you know, housing project departments with families, eating with them and mm-hmm. learning about their their families. And, you know, seeing that just because an individual grows up in a very difficult environment doesn't mean they're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Their choices are, are different because they're not exposed to things that general society is exposed to. And my father was 
really intent on making sure that you know kids who grew up in these difficult situations had more options. His program set records um, across the country at reducing recidivism, that's re-arrest, sure. um, and helping more kids graduate from school and get on to college or get on to pursue degrees that did um, enable them to get out of the housing projects and actually have productive lives and good families. Well, first of all, backing up to the to the the moment in the courtroom, it seems so out of character of what, you know, this courtroom scene typically is, how it plays out in TV and movies and right. whatever, to have a person kind of hit the emergency brake in that conversation. Um, that is so interesting to me that he said that, yes, but out of that, the ripple effect that was happening. So he says it, he gets pulled back into the judge's chambers, then there's more resistance from uh, the system or realities of what is the court system and that pushes him even further mm -hmm. and spurs him on even more and then like that one statement and then acting on that statement has us now here telling the story and i'm just kind of blown away yeah. that um it's could be just that simple but also that that hard because it's you guys gave your lives and how many kids i know you said you had a twin sister but how many siblings so I have an identical twin sister, and then I have two older brothers and an older sister. So there were five of us. So five kids plus yeah. these other kids sure. coming from the inner yeah. city. Yeah, plus we had pastors, plus we had community leaders. Um, you know, our, our house was open to a lot of people. And, and we were so involved also in, in the communities in Los Angeles. Um, you know, my father, well, he recognized boundaries. Mm -hmm. He also recognized that sometimes boundaries limited people's thinking, mm. limited people's abilities to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so he stretched those boundaries and walked across them. And I think that kind of thinking, that kind of critical thinking is something I see in myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I definitely took that from him because I look at how things could be or should be sure. and I constantly ask why. Yeah. And you know, towards toward the end of my time in Los Angeles before I took off and started my career in, in television news. Uh, my dad, he was part of a press conference that uh, L.A. Mayor um, Tom Bradley held, recognizing his program, Direction Sports, as a model for cities nationwide. Again, um, Direction Sports had broken records at preventing recidivism and helping these kids get on to yeah. the next step in their lives. And uh, Mayor Bradley wanted the nation to know about that. Um, I was writing for the school newspaper. I was really interested in sharing stories, uh, sharing objective information. I was already on the path to becoming mm -hmm. a journalist at mm -hmm. that time. And I was impressed with a number of TV stations that showed up, um, you know, the big networks uh, along with, um, you know, the newspapers in Los Angeles. And, you know, as a press conference was going forward, you had these kids who were, you know, from the, the housing project demonstrating how the program worked, demonstrating what they learned, demonstrating how Direction Sports had achieved its outstanding results. And something interesting that happened um, after their demonstration was the mayor opened the, the platform up, opened the press conference up for questions. Um, he at that time was going through re-election mm -hmm. and he was being investigated, the mayor was, for possible misdealings with a bank. And... When the questions, um, you know, when it was opened up to questions from the media, the media didn't ask about direction sports. They didn't ask about the amazing work these young people did. They asked the mayor about his potential misdealings with this oh. bank. And you can only imagine how deflated all of the people in the room were, the young people who had spent so much time preparing for this. My father, you know, who was so proud of what he'd accomplished. And here I am, this young 17, 18-year-old, 
you know, budding journalists going, wait a second, that's not the story. Yeah. Well, it actually was the reason so many of these media showed sure. up was because they couldn't corner the mayor any other time, but they could get him here. And that was the, the time that I really made the commitment to going into mm-hmm. becoming a really objective journalist, to identifying great stories, pursuing really objective stories um, that, you know, painted a picture um, that people may not get of mm-hmm. some of the positive things that were happening in their lives um, in the community. Um you know, people who were championing change. Uh, and I was able to pursue that kind of journalism from the mm-hmm. time I started in Idaho um, all the way to the time I made it here to uh, to Milwaukee. So you see these things, you're impacted by that. You start chasing um, this objective reporting journalism, representing properly the stories and, and, and pulling out those things. I'm interested to know then, without me assuming so, what would you say your North Star is so to speak, when it comes to leading your company? So Kane is, I'd say, rewriting the rules for how public relations and marketing agencies work. Um, I believe that the traditional model for marketing and PR agencies is outdated. It needs to evolve. Um, for years, public relations has kind of gotten the back seat um, or not necessarily having a seat at the table mm-hmm. um, because we're not closely aligned with helping companies achieve business results. But today, because of technology uh, and because of a generation of consumers who want information at demand, on demand, public relations is pulled into the center of companies building their reputations, advancing their reputations, and protecting their reputations. So I'd say our North Star uh, as an agency is to achieve spectacular results uh, for the companies that we work with. And how we do that is not by focusing on a tactic, a great press release. It's not by focusing on the tactic like a video or a brochure. It's by asking really tough questions of Mm -hmm. the individuals that we're working with, the CEOs, the VPs of communication that we're working with, uh, around you know, what are the problems that you're trying to solve as a business and what does success look like for you? Because when I can understand that, then I can take a step back and look at how comms can become a driving strategy for your business to achieve those results. So you are still focusing on the person and not just the result. So what you maybe saw happening with that press conference or that um, court proceeding with Lloyd, you are still focusing on the person and then letting the results come out of that by chasing down what it is that this person actually needs, what, what the CEO is of this organization is actually mm-hmm. looking for, mm-hmm. but asking the questions to draw out why. Absolutely. So focusing on how things could be and should be, mm-hmm. not focusing on how things are. I also don't yeah. focus on the superficial. The superficial is frustrating. The superficial, these are tactics. I'd like to focus on the substance. Sure. And the way our employees work today, the way our employees are trained today, is not to take an order and do what we're told to do. The way our employees work and the way we're trained is to ask deep questions, Mm -hmm. to really get at the heart of what the companies that we work with are trying to accomplish, and then ladder back to the strategies and the tactics to help us get there. You made a statement over lunch a few weeks ago about uh, employee engagement and uh, leading well. And and, and I was wanting to know, so what are you doing to uh, increase morale? And and what does it look like at Kane Communications? So if you wouldn't mind, please lay out like your approach to employee engagement and what that actually does for your folks. Sure, yeah. So this has been a learning process for me. and I reflect a little bit uh, on you know experiences I've had in the work world. And as I've grown up in the work world, one thing that's 
frustrated me on occasion is being seen more as a position description than as an individual who comes to the table with a lot of ideas that can drive results and have an impact for the company I'm working for. Sometimes, you know, you're told, well, that's not your job. Well, that's not your job. Well, here's your position description. And I understand that. But I think that everyone who works in a company, you know, comes to the table with their own individual perspectives, their own individual experiences, their own goals yeah, for their, sure, their futures. Sure. And if, if we're not meeting our employees where they're at and helping to guide them to where they they want to go, we're missing out on a tremendous uh, opportunity um, mm-hmm. to maximize, let's say, worker productivity in our companies, but also, you know, to help them, you know, achieve the kind of results that they want to achieve yeah. uh, as individuals. So uh, early on at Kane, I think after I hired my first employee, you know, I began talking with that employee about, well, what does success look like for you? You know, who do you want to be within this company? Mm-hmm. Um, you're employee number two. Uh, yeah. How do you want to help shape the direction that we're going in? And with every employee that we've had come onto the team, these are the kinds of conversations that we have. So today we're a little bit more formal <laughs> than mm-hmm. we were back then. Sure. Um, we've doubled in revenue every year that we have, um, you know, we've been around. Um, wow. And this past year we pressed pause a little bit and focused on uh, building our infrastructure. So taking some of the practices that we had been developing with our team, developing with uh, our clients, and beginning to really formalize those. And professional development over our employees is a really big part of that. So when employees join our team, everyone has access to professional development dollars. Uh, Up to this point, everybody on the team has access to $500 in professional development funds. They can work with uh, their um, supervisor to determine how they're going to use those dollars. Is it by joining an association? Mm -hmm. Is it through uh, specific training on skills so that they can become, you know, better um, uh, tacticians at what they do? It's up to them uh, and it's up to, uh, to their supervisor. Um, you know, after an employee is with us for about a year, up mm-hmm. to a year, mm-hmm. they've had enough time um, to really understand who Kane is. Sure, um, getting their sea legs a little bit and yeah. feeling a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, sure. yeah. And that's when we get to have some really meaningful conversations with our employees to say, okay, um, in a small, growing entrepreneurial company, the sky's the limit. We're still forming who we're going to be. Sure. Um, what path do you want to take uh, at Kane Communications Group? Where do you want to be in five years from now? And there's not one employee on my team who has said uh, their supervisor or their employer has asked them that question. Mm. And so we get to take that time to write position descriptions with those employees um, that we could help them grow into. Now, those position descriptions have to align, of course, where the business is going. Sure. But yeah, I, of course. I guarantee you, Steve, your employees have more ideas about how your company can improve than you would imagine. Mm-hmm. And what they can do to help your company grow than you would imagine. Um, why not give them a chance um, to shape their future um, and to benefit the company as well? So what would you say to let's say let's say that I'm I like the idea but I'm skeptical about letting somebody write their own job description mm-hmm. um what have you experienced that would help combat that or help overcome that um what what would you say to that well that's leadership so you know as leaders we're not here to just make tough decisions we're here to inspire 
our team members. You know, I believe, I think one of the most important things about being a leader is to help people on your team feel alive. And if you don't take those moments where you're taking a risk to really invest in your employees, you're missing out on critical leadership opportunities. It's handing over the reins to some degree and saying, hey, show me what you got. You know, here's where we're going as a company. You know that. You've been here long enough. Um, here's what you've seen. Here's mm-hmm. what you've learned. Where do you see yourself going? Sorry. And then it becomes a deliberate process with them. It's not, you know, you write the position description and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's having a great conversation about, you know, how the business operates. How is this going to improve mm-hmm. the business? So it becomes a very kind of reciprocal, collaborative conversation. So I can't just hope that it's going to change. I'm just kidding. You got to be part can. of it. You've of got to you invest. Can. You know, one of our core values is we are invested. We are so invested in the success of the company, every one of our employees, and we're invested in the success of each other. We don't let anyone on the team fail. And this is part of that process is saying, how can I help you grow as an individual? And, you know, as a result of that, you're going to help us grow. If employee engagement at your company is that important and you're intentionally doing these things, and oh yeah, we've also doubled in revenue every year. There might be something there. Hearing the more holistic approach that you're taking, it would seem to me that by way of doing that, you're not only taking care of the person, but you're also kind of uh, jumping the route of the employee that's like, where am I going? Mm-hmm. And then they're not kind of looking for greener pastures. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're even more invested in what you are doing because they're literally riding their own way and, and mm-hmm. kind of bought in. Right. But if you want to get there, well, I'll help you get there, but you got to do it yourself. So we've written your job description for two years from now. Let's grow into that. Absolutely. So now that we know that on your website, it says our daily mandate, get results. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about employee engagement, getting people excited about where they're working, um, inspiring people. Mm -hmm. How do you hold your people accountable for results? Like what what are you doing that's practical, the practical things to not only help people write their own, uh, write their own job descriptions, but then get results for your customers? Sure. Well, you don't start saying what results did we get at the end of the project, right? It starts at the very beginning. So we have a very research-driven project. You know, again, this is one of the things that makes us uh, different than many agencies is we ask a lot of business-oriented questions at the beginning. If I can't walk away from a kickoff meeting with a clear understanding of my client's business goals, and they agree that I've got their business goals, Mm -hmm. you know, very clear and I understand them, I can't write a communication strategy. So knowing what my client's business goals are That's my North Star on a project. Mm. And then you begin to do the research. And research can be everything from secondary research, taking a look at what's happening in the industry, changes that are happening, to a lot of primary research that might include surveys or uh, interviews with your, your client or their stakeholders. By pulling down that information and understanding what success looks like to my client, then we can begin to develop a very informed communication plan to achieve those results. And we don't wait until the end to measure. We're constantly measuring mm-hmm. our progress mm-hmm. um, you know, in a lot of different ways. It might be through social media. It might be through social listening. It might be the kinds of headlines that we're getting. It could be 
you know, how much traffic is coming to the website. I mean, there are lots of different ways because of technology that today we can sure. measure our results and we can course correct um, throughout the process uh, if we're not on track. So achieving results starts at the very beginning by understanding what's the problem we're trying to solve, what does success look like, and using a very informed approach mm-hmm. um, to uh, to our process. It makes it, it makes sense. I've heard multiple people say this year, not just from the podcast, but specifically with a couple of people that I've interviewed where they say you don't just show up mm-hmm. and then perform mm-hmm. well. It starts way before. Mm-hmm. Nobody's watching you when you're doing all of the hard work and the research or similarly with your employees. I would think you're training them on the front end to get the right information. And then as you're along the way, hitting metrics, great, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. If you're not hitting metrics, well, then now we need to course correct. Yeah. Uh, because if you just show up and hope the results are going to get there, doesn't sound like it's going to pan out very well. Right. And we can't be afraid to ask the tough questions. Again, if I go back to, say, where my dad was mm-hmm. in 1968 with Lloyd Camachi, he didn't just accept what the judge said. He asked the tough questions and said, why? You know, why do we have a system like this? Why do we have situations like this? And what does success look like for me? Mm-hmm. And then how do I achieve it? And that's really the same philosophy that we have at Kane Communications Group. Just because someone says a situation is a certain way, if their definition of success is different, we're going to find the appropriate approach to getting there. And it's not about taking orders. It's about asking the right questions and using a very thoughtful process to get there. So good. So uh, the next question that I've got, why did you want to be the owner? Why pursue that? Uh, what drove you to take on all the stress and potential responsibility of owning Kane Communications? Well, it started, Steve, because I wanted to kind of carve a different path in my life. I wanted to have a job, have a career where I was able to spend more time uh, with my children early on. Um, And I was able to do um, more than just be a position description. I was able to really achieve a vision uh, that I had for my clients um, and do things that were inspiring for me. So starting Kane Communications Group was an experiment uh, in the very beginning um, that really became a successful uh, strategy. Taking on the stress and the responsibility of a company um, is something I thrive on. I have four children. Mm-hmm. I have three dogs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I love having the responsibility of um, you know for other people. You know, taking on that. Um, while it's stressful at times, it's also extremely invi- invigorating when you see other people on your team who are invested in what you're doing. You see your clients really excited about what you're helping them achieve. And we've set a, a target for Kane. Our 10-year target is to be nationally recognized at redefining the role that communications plays in business. And we're already getting national attention for the approach that we're taking. So the stress of owning a company, um, the responsibility of owning a company is all very real. Um, but the excitement of being able to um, be an organization that achieves results mm-hmm. for our clients and is doing things differently uh, is really what inspires and motivates me. So good. That's great. So um, three ending questions. What's the greatest lesson or greatest leadership lesson that you've learned? Who'd you learn it from or how'd you learn it? And then why was it so impactful? So greatest lesson learned, who or how'd you learn it? And why was it so impactful to you? There are so many leadership lessons that I've learned. Um, But I think I'll go back to that statement that the responsibility of a leader is to help the people on their team feel alive. And you don't do that by telling them what to do. You don't do them do that by keeping 
everything they do aligned with a position description. Uh, you do that by asking their opinion. You do that by letting go of the reins and seeing what they can bring to the table. Um, and it's amazing to see their investment and their excitement and when they realize that you trust them uh, and they're able to take ownership over things in the company. Who did you, was there a person or a time that you learned that, that clicked or did that evolve over time? How did that, how did you get there? Because I, I love that, but mm. how did you, how did you end up there? I'll say it's evolved over time um, and it's not easy, but you know, there's a, a book called Faust written by Goethe um, and and in Faust, Goethe writes something like, treat a person as they are and they will remain as they are, but treat them as they could be or should be, and they will become as they could be or should be. So good. And as leaders, that's part of our job. Our job is not to say, here's who you are, stay there. Our job is to let go a little bit and say, how can I guide you to becoming who you could be or should be? So it's, it's a journey. Well, Kimberly, I have enjoyed, I can't believe... <laughs> how quickly it seemed the time has gone. As we close this thing out, uh, what's the best way for people to engage with you? Um, I'm sure many people that are listening into this want to hear more or want to know more about what Kane Communications is about, what you're about. So what's the best way for people to engage with you and your organization? You can come to our website, canecomgroup.com. Visit us on uh, social media as well. Awesome. Well, uh, we're going to have that information in the show notes as well. So make sure that you click the show notes. If you do want to connect with Kimberly and her team, it will be there. Thanks again, Kimberly. Thanks, Steve. All right, so let's jump into it. Action items and takeaway or action item and takeaway. First of all, she's got fight. She is a kind, well-spoken person that has grit and a strong backbone and maybe even a stronger sense of of what's driving her to really change the industry that she's in by loving people well, communicating clearly what people's goals are and making it happen. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So action item takeaway, here it is. Takeaway. For me, the biggest takeaway for me is what she said about leadership. She said it a couple times, but she reiterated it at the end. What's your greatest leadership lesson that you've learned? It's about people and helping people change their lives. It's about investing yourself into the people that you're leading and leadership is messy. So action item, if we're going to put that into practice based on the things that she talked about here, what are the practical things that we can do with the folks around us that we are in charge of, that we are responsible for to increase their morale, to take a risk? Maybe it is, maybe it is letting them plan out their own way to pave their own way and then helping them grow into that role. Or maybe it's simply doing like Kimberly has done and ask the tough questions. To me, tough questions aren't just, why didn't you do the thing that I asked you to do? But tough questions are, what is it that makes you tick? And for those of us that are extremely busy, that question is so tough because it takes a lot of time for follow-up. So there you have it. That's my takeaway and my action item. Hopefully you can get something from that. I certainly did from this conversation with Kimberly. I'm grateful to know her and to be able to sit down with her. Okay, so if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, take a second right now and go to whatever platform you're utilizing to listen to this podcast and kind of follow your nose to the point of being able to click subscribe. So if you're on an iPhone, look for that purple, purple and white icon called podcast and click into that. Search is in the bottom right-hand corner. Type in impact of leadership and then you can subscribe that way. If you are on your laptop or computer at work, 
Look for the banner because you're listening to it through probably our website. We've got a couple different links there. You can put your email in there. We'll push an email to you. Hey, there's a new episode. Another way that you can help us out and help us get better at what we do is leaving a review. So whatever platform you're on, leave a review and rate whatever you think. It helps us get better. If you leave a five-star review, thank you. If you leave a one-star review, yikes. But leave some comments so we know what we can do better. Thank you for engaging with us in those two ways. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us here at CCB Technology.